Well, thank you for having me. It's, it's, uh, it's a joy to be here uh, at Grace. I think I've been here one time on a midweek. Uh, it was years ago. And, but, uh, so it's a, it's a real blessing. It's an honor to be able to share God's Word. It's, it's something I take very seriously. It's His message. It's not mine. And, and I'm depending on Him to put that across what, what his, his, his message is. Um, so, in Peru, uh, Mexico, and Uganda, uh, we do a lot of leadership training. We have conferences. Uh, we have uh, one Bible institute. We're about to found another or start another Bible institute in Peru. And um, we've seen the power of God's Word and the power of the gospel. Paul says in uh, Romans 116, that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation, that he's not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. And so um, uh, there are certain truths that I think that if we believe them, if we, if we understand them and we believe them, it w- they will transform our lives uh, every time, every time. And God, this is God's uh, method to, to, to change our hearts and to cause us to, to empower us to live lives that are pleasing to him is, is, is the truth that's found in his word. So it's, it's the word that does the work. And so um, uh, we, we teach uh, what is called the solas. I'm sure that you've uh, probably been taught those before. And so uh, I want to today to concentrate. Uh, I want to give a brief overview of the solas, the five solas, and concentrate on Christ alone. Talk a little bit about faith alone. So uh, the, the solas, what's, uh, what's the first one? Scripture alone, right? Scripture alone is called the formal uh, principle or the formal cause of the Reformation. These, these solas came out of the Reformation, and the Reformation was uh, basically back to the Bible movement because uh, the church, the Catholic church at the time of the Reformation was a church basically without the Bible. The Bible was not in the language of the people. Uh, in the masses, uh, they hardly ever gave a sermon. And in fact, when they, when they preached too much, they were accused of uh, heresy. And so um, when, when the reformers began to look at scriptures, when Martin Luther and others became, and before that in the English Reformation, they began to look at scriptures, they began to compare what the scriptures actually said from what they were taught in, in, the, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church. And so they um, began to, uh, the, the, uh, these teachings began to emerge as to uh, how, how are we saved? How do we come into right relationship with God? How do we escape the judgment of God? Things that are just life and death and eternal issues. And so they, they, these truths then summarize. The scripture alone is the authority from which we determine what is true uh, for what we should believe and how we should live. And, and, and it's um, uh, through Christ alone, through what he did on the cross alone. And it's, it's, it's through grace alone, uh, just the gift of grace, God's, God's mercy alone, and plus nothing. And it's through faith alone that we receive what he has done. And, and, and the plan of salvation, the plan of God works in such a way that he alone receives all the glory. To God alone be the glory. And that we should strive to live 
and do all that we do for the glory of God. So these are the five solas, and so today we're going to uh, talk about Christ alone. You could, you could teach this to using many different scriptures, and I've chosen one in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and so 5 and 6. So I'd like to read it and then have uh, a word of prayer. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Lord, I come to you and asking for uh, the help of your Holy Spirit to give me the words and that you would open our hearts to receive your words today and that we would, we would understand them and that we would be changed by them and that you would empower us to live lives that would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, Paul says, there is one God. There is one God. And uh, we work with different peoples that, that, have, that believe in the spirit of nature. They believe in, and really, there are many different gods. And uh, these are idols. But we too can have idols. Anything that takes the place of God in our hearts. He, 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 he demands to have first place in our hearts. He, he requires or he calls us to total commitment. He says, Jesus said in Luke 14, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So we, we come to the Lord uh, giving him our whole hearts. And of course, sometimes when we, it doesn't mean that, that when we stumble and fall that we don't belong to the Lord. No, but, but this is, our, this is our, our disposition. This is our, our commitment. This is our desire. This is what we are seeking for, to always give Jesus the first place. Because there's one God, there's one true God. And, and there's, there's many false gods even of our own making. People, people try to, people uh, make a God of their own imagination because that's how they want God to be. They don't want God to be quite so sovereign as, as he really is. Uh, they don't want God to be quite so holy as, as he really is. Or, or a God of justice. So people talk about God, God's goodness and God's love but they, they, they don't want to hear about God's wrath and God's justice. But God is all of these things. And so we need to see God as who he really is. And I think once we come to know him, we'll be glad for the way he, he really is. And, and so, uh, but, but uh, people, it's easier to believe falsehood than to believe the truth. Because the, the false doctrine is man-centered. It appeals to our, our own these human desires. But but the truth is God-centered. It's for His glory. It's not about us. It's about Him. And so there's one true God um, and many false gods that we might make of our own imagination and worship uh, how we wish God would be. Or, but um, we need to strive to see how, what God is like from the Scriptures, from the Scriptures alone. So what is the true God like? There's one God. Uh, he's he's uh, eternal. He's self-existent. Uh, he's, uh, he's uncreated. He has no beginning. He has no end. Uh, he's, he's, he's completely sovereign. There's nothing outside of his control. Everything that happens, happens 
by his decree. Either he has uh, actively ordained it to happen, or at least he permits it to happen and decided to permit it hap to happen and knew it, it would happen before anything existed. And so, and, but he has a reason for all that he permits. He has a good reason for all that he permits. He's not the author of evil, but he permits evil uh, for his purpose. Uh, so um, he's, he's also infinitely holy. He's uh, separated from sin. He's pure. Um, and he's, he's just. He's a just God. Uh, he, he, um, he must... He must execute justice over wrongdoing. Uh, a, a judge, if somebody committed mass murder and the judge just said, well, okay, just don't do that again. You know, he would not be uh, good. People would really be upset. And God is, because he's good, he's also just. And, and so, but so this is, this is the way God is. He's also love. He's, he's, he's many things. He's unchanging. But man is not like God. Man is, is not immortal. He's not eternal. He's mortal. And he's not holy. He's sinful. Um, and in fact, we're born as, as enemies of God. We're born enemies of God. This is what the Bible, this is, this is rough too. I mean, this is not going to help anyone's self-esteem. But it's the truth. You know, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, um, they hid from God. Uh, then uh, they, they tried to cover their, their nakedness. And um, God eventually pronounced the curses. And he, he expelled them from the beautiful garden, from his presence. And, and so they were separated from him. And then everyone who was born after that has born just like them, separated from God, under his judgment, um, separated from all that God is. It says in Colossians 1.21, you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Um, it says uh, that, that, uh, that we, are, we were enemies. In Ephesians 2.3, it says that we conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. By nature, by, we have a sin nature. And, and I believe that this is, you know, that when we're born, before we're born again, we live in this, this sin nature, this, this self-centered nature. This, we have a nature that cannot not sin. We always sin. We always, it comes from our nature. Um, so this is, this is the reality. It says that if, Isaiah 64, we, we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. Romans 3 says, there is none righteous. All have turned aside. There is no one who does good. No, not one. So, um, so we're born in this, with the sin nature. We're born as enemies of God. We're born as slaves, servants of Satan and not servants of God. And, and so this is why we need to be born again. But so because of that, we're under the judgment of God. Um, it says... In, in Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the, the truth and unrighteousness. That we, we, we don't want to recognize God. We don't want to recognize the righteousness of God. And so we, we suppress it and, 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 and live as though it's not so. And, 
and, and then we, we don't see it anymore. John 3, 36 says, um, He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Matthew 13, 41 says that the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and practice lawlessness and will cast them into a furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There is a judgment that is coming. People are under the judgment of God because they have broken God's law. They have been his enemies. Instead of, instead of listening to God, in Adam and Eve in the garden, they, they listened and obeyed God's enemies. And so they became servants of Satan. We are born that way. And, and uh, we have rebelled against the sovereign Lord of the, of the universe. And so we are under his condemnation by nature. Um, so this is the human condition. It's sad. It's, it's bad news. But we have to understand it. We have to confront it. It, it explains a lot that's going on in, in, in our world today and throughout history as we live in a fallen world. Uh, we don't we live in a world that's evolving and getting better and better and, and a human being can, can make this perfect society. No, man has fallen and there's no repairing it except through one way. So um, this, is, this is the human condition. But the good news is that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. God provided a, a, a solution, and he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to make a way for us to, to come back to him and to be restored into his presence. Uh, but he did. Uh, he, he, made, he made a way. He made one way, and it, and it says there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And the mediator... Is, is someone who goes between two parties that are at odds and they restoring peace. And so, so peace means a change in the disposition of God towards us so that he no longer views us as enemies. He no longer sees us as under his judgment, but we're restored to right relationship with God and we're on, we have his favor. And I believe that once we have his favor, we never lose his favor. Once we truly have his favor. We never lose that favor. That's a different, a different teaching than another teaching. So uh, there's one mediator between God and man. There's only one. There's, there's not many. There's not many ways to God. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation. There is not salvation in any other. For there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus. And so there's one mediator between God and man that says, the, um, the man, Christ Jesus. You know, God became a man. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man all at the same time. And so he has the divine nature and, and he has uh, the nature of humanity as well. Although he is perfect. And so it was necessary that, that, uh, that he became a man because the first Adam failed. He failed the test. But the second Adam, he didn't fail. He, he said, get behind me, Satan. It is written. It is written. And he lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life uh, so that, that he could fulfill that which the first Adam failed to do. 
And so he, he represents us. He represents us in his perfect life and he re- represents us in his death for sin. His death for sin becomes our death for sin. And, but he had to be God as well because a mere man can't pay this price. It's, it's because sin is, is uh, infinitely evil transgression against an infinitely pure being requires an infinitely precious price that man cannot pay. Only God could pay that. So, so, so uh, there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who is also God, praise the Lord. So how did this mediator accomplish his mediation? Well, the Bible says that he accomplishes it by means of, of a sacrifice, of a sacrifice, and, and it's a perfect sacrifice, and it's a sufficient sacrifice, and I believe that this sacrifice is all we need. It's all we need, and that there's nothing that can be added to it or should be added to it. And once we try, if we try to add something to the sacrifice, then we're not going to, we're going to suffer spiritually. <laughs> we're not going to live uh, a life of freedom, a life of peace, a life as God intends. And we will not, we have the power to live as God intends. So we must, this is the key, I believe, Christ alone. Christ plus nothing else is the key to our whole faith. And everything else follows from that. So um, this is, he, he did this through a uh, sacrifice, and the Bible calls it a propitiation. Can you say Propitiation probably had that word. I think, you know, a lot of translations change that word, but that word is such a powerful and in-depth word, and it's full of, full of meaning, and, um, and I think it's, it's, it's good to understand. I don't think when they change it, I think they miss a little bit of the meaning. So a propitiation, propitiation means, means a taking away of, of the wrath of, of God. It's a turning away of wrath is what it is. And so it's a price that's paid, a sacrifice that is made that turns away the wrath of God. And so this is what has taken place, that Jesus has turned away the wrath of God for those who believe in him because he became our substitute on the cross. And he, uh, he satisfied God's justice against all of our sins, every single one of them. Past, present, and future. So, so that the justice due to you for, the, for each of your sins, one sin is enough to be in hell for eternity. But the justice due for each one of our sins, all the millions and millions of them, he satisfied that justice. He took that justice in our place as our substitute. So that when God sees you, he sees the perfection of Christ. Uh, as if you lived the life, the perfect life that Christ lived. And when he was looking at Jesus on the cross, he was judging your, your sin, my sin. And, um, and, and so when he said it was finished, he meant it's done. There's nothing more to add to it. And everything we need has been accomplished. Praise the Lord. This is very good news, isn't it? Isn't that good news? Very good news. So um, here Romans 3, 24 talks about, it says being justified freely by his grace, being put in right standing with God, 
as a gift by his grace through the redemption to when he brought, when he paid that redemptive uh, price through his blood. It's uh, to buy to a purchase price to set free. That's what redemption is. Uh, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by, by his blood through faith, as, as, a, as a sacrifice that would turn away completely all the wrath of God from everything we've ever done or will do, by the way. Praise the Lord. Uh, Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace so that we could have peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. We have we, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise the Lord. So what I'd like to go through here, I have seven things, and I believe there are more, seven important things that we have that Jesus accomplished through his perfect sacrifice, his, his work of mediation, his, his, the price that he paid, the propitiation, seven things that we have as a result of that. And so again, this, I believe that the finished work of Christ, this is the key to our faith. This is the key to the abundant life. This is the key to freedom. This is the key to peace. This is the key to power. People think that some experience is the key to power. You know, that, uh, and people think they have power through some, something they've experienced maybe in church or something. And I, I think God can touch our lives through the Spirit in church. Yes, but that can just be for today and tomorrow we wake up with the same way. But once we get this truth in our hearts that it goes deep down into our soul, we are set free. We have power to live the Christian life. We're not in, we don't have to be under fear. We don't have to be under condemnation because of what Jesus did. And this is what we have. This is what you have and I have today. Not because of how we've lived, but because of what he's already done in the past. So all these things he already accomplished over 2,000 years ago in the past, and they're accomplished now, and they're finished, and they're for us if we just believe it. So the first thing we have is the forgiveness of our sins. And this is the forgiveness of all of our sins, every single one of them, small sins, great sins, past sins, present sins, future sins. All of them are paid for. Not just some of them, but they're all either the sins that you will commit the day after tomorrow or tomorrow or yet today. Still paid for, satisfied, propitiated, on the cross, already done. Every one of them. Yeah. So it says, uh, and I believe that once we believe, once we're born again, once we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, we enter into a forgiven state. A fixed position of being forgiven so that we're never not forgiven well that doesn't mean that we don't keep repenting of course we repent we repent because we are forgiven because he is in our life and we want to please him because it's no longer our nature to do the things that God hates to 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 continue to be in enmity against him how is it that the one who saved us and now we're going to fight against him no we are going to submit ourselves to him 
more and more. Not perfectly. We're going to fail, yes. But our hearts are no longer inclined to just live for ourselves. Our hearts are inclined to, to, to Him, to the Lord. We love the Lord. We love Him because He first loved us. So, um, th this is the state that we enter into. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Or in some versions it says, it, who released us, who set us free from our sins in his own blood. Colossians 2.13 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh or the old nature, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Already happened in the past, forgiven you of all trespasses because they're paid for, because the justice for those sins has been satisfied already. Having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Okay, so the record of all of our sins the handwriting, the requirements against us every time. It's a, there's a record. Record is now erased. It's, it's, it's um, taken away. And there is no record of our sin. God sees us that way. He sees us as pure and perfect and holy. But we're not yet in our conduct. But this is how he sees us. So we are forgiven because of what Jesus' work on the cross, because of his work of mediation. Secondly, we are already justified. Justified means to be declared righteous, declared not guilty, declared innocent, declared as if we had lived the perfect life, as if we had never sinned before. Um, and so the righteousness of Christ, which is a perfect righteousness, because we need perfect righteousness to come before God. If we come to God with any imperfection, we cannot go to be where he is. He will not receive us to where he is. So how in the world can that ever happen? We'd be lost. But he has a plan. And that is that when we believe in him, his righteousness is given to us as a gift. It's his righteousness. It's a perfect righteousness. You can never improve upon it or take away from it by any of our own actions. And it's always ours. It's always ours. Not because of how we're living or if we're having our devotions or, or if, we've, you know, if we've given tithes or something like that. It's, it's, it's always ours because of what he's already done, because of what he did on the cross. This is why we have it. This is why we have forgiveness, why we have justification. And then, then, we, then the response, of course, we, we love to be with the brethren, and we love to give, and we, we love to seek him in, in, in prayers. But, but we're not doing it to try to, to, try to mm, measure up anymore. Huh live that way as a life of misery. I have to keep doing things. I have to keep measuring up. Uh, you'll never do enough. It'll never be sufficient. You'll always live in that sense of failure, that sense of condemnation. That's not the Christian life. No. It's, it's, it's peace. It's rest. It's freedom. It's, it's a per it's permanent relationship we have with him that is because of what he's done already. So this is, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is justification. It says Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. How, when, when will we just, by his blood? That's what puts us right with him. That's what declares us perfect in his sight. And so uh, Romans three twenty one, 
talks about the righteousness of the law. He says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and upon all who believe. So that there's a righteousness, a different kind of righteousness that we receive by faith. Praise the Lord. Um, indeed. That's one other. Oh, yes. Okay, well. Okay. So that's justified. Thirdly, we have been reconciled. Reconciled means that we've been made God's friends. We've been brought into this blameless relationship without any condemnation, whereby any, anything that was against us has been removed and we're in right standing. We've been reconciled, whereas before we were separated. We were dead in sins. We were God's enemies. We were, now we are brought back into his presence as his friends. It says, Romans 5.10, For if when we were enemies, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, through the death of his son. How are we reconciled? Through the death of his son. When? When we were enemies. Already happened. It says then in Colossians 1.21, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That's how he sees us. We've been made holy, blameless, and above reproach. Reproach in his sight. He, when we were enemies, he reconciled us through his death. And then in Hebrews 10, I love this verse 14, says, By one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Wow. Huh. Well, this is great news, isn't it? <laughs> this is what we need. Yeah, so that's, uh, so he's, he's forgiven us, he's justified us, he's reconciled. For he's restored us to God's presence. And this has also been done through the blood, through what he's through his, his sacrifice, through his propitiation. Ephesians 2.13 says, For now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hebrews 10.19. Therefore, having boldness to enter into the holiness, into his presence, the place where his presence is, by the blood of Christ. So so what has brought us near? The blood. How do we enter his presence? Through faith in what he has already done. Not through singing, not through even prayers do we enter his presence. Although we might experience his presence, but we are always in his presence. We are not in and out of his presence. We, don't, we can't sing to enter in. We are already in his presence. By faith, we enter into his presence because of his blood. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So in church, when we sing, we sing to celebrate the fact that we are in his presence, to submit ourselves before him. And we may have an experience of his presence, yes, but we don't get into his presence. We are there. We are never, he will never leave us or forsake us. <sighs> and there's nothing that can separate us from his love. So we've been brought into his presence. That is the whole point. We were with Satan. We were separated. We were dead spiritually. Now we're reconciled and we're back in his presence. And it's already happened through his blood, through his sacrifice. That was four. Five, through this work, the sacrifice, he's also delivered us not only from the guilt of sin, but the power of sin too. That's already happened too. Romans 6, 6 and 7 says, Knowing this, that our old man 
or our old sinful self, was crucified with him. When he died, we died. That old man died. That the body of sin might be done away with. That, that um, the power, the sinful nature might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. So, so we still sin, right? But we're no longer slaves of sin. So we don't have to sin anymore. We can choose not to sin. Because we have a new nature. We're new creatures. We have the Spirit of God. Whereas before, we were bound to our nature of sin. We were slaves to that nature. We will always do according to our natures. So then we're born again. We enter back into God's presence. We pass from death into life. And now, even though the influence of sin is there, it's very strong. And, and the way we have always thought, we need to renew our minds. But we're no longer under the dominion of sin. Yeah, so sin had us like that. And we couldn't shake it. But now, the chains break. And sin is still there trying to influence us. But we can say no, you know, by the word of God. And, and choose to resist Satan and he will flee from us. And, and uh, we can choose to obey the Lord. So we're delivered from the power of sin. Okay, so that's five. Six, we've already been delivered also from the power of Satan. So I think... For anyone who believes in Jesus, the power of Satan is broken. The power of Satan is broken. He's defeated already. And so Hebrews 2.14 says, Inasmuch as the children have been partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. The devil has been destroyed through the death of Christ. That's what that says. Now, he can, he can still do a lot of harm if he basically lies to us. So if, if we believe his lies, then we're going to live in fear. But, but if we don't believe his lies and we believe in Jesus, Satan can do nothing to us, absolutely nothing, because we are in Christ, and Christ is in the heavenly places, seated far above principalities and powers and every name that is named. We are with him. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. How is it that Satan has any part in us? No, nothing. Because of his death on the cross, he's destroyed them already. Colossians 1.13 says he has delivered us from the power of darkness, already happened, and conveyed us into the kingdom of his dear son. So I believe Satan, all of his demons... We're defeated and destroyed at the cross for those who believe. So as we renew our minds and as we believe, Satan has no power over us. But if we're still going to believe lies and live as, those, as, as if those lies are true, then we, we'll suffer. We'll live in fear. We'll live in condemnation, et cetera, et cetera. We'll have anxieties. We'll have all these things. Lastly, number seven, he's delivered us from through the work on the cross. He's delivered us from death itself. It says um, that Hebrews 2.9 that for suffering of death crowned with glory and honor by the grace of God that he might taste death for everyone. It says in Hebrews 2.15 that he, he destroyed the devil so that he might release those who through the fear of death were made subject to bondage their whole life. He 2 Timothy 1.10 says he is, it, it, 
has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That, that is incredible. He's abolished death. Death you're abolished. No longer exists. Can we live in that reality? I mean, that's a challenge, right? We see death all around us. These bodies are getting old and they're under decay. But he says he's abolished death. So this body, yes, it has to die unless we happen to be here right at the moment when Jesus comes back. But this, is, this, is, this body is not us. We are living, this is our house. We live inside that the moment we, we put off this, this, this body, we are with Jesus. He says to the thief on the cross, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Not, not in so many hundreds of years when I come back, but today, today, today. So he who, who lives and believes in me, Jesus said, will never die. So we never really die, not ever, never die. But the body, yes, that's not us. So it takes faith, again. So faith is the work, believing in Jesus, the work of God. This is what we're called to. And this is what will connect us with the power of God. Okay, so in review, just real quick. Um, the seven things I have mentioned, completely forgiven. All this because of what he's already done on the cross. Justified, reconciled, restored to God's presence, delivered from the power of sin, delivered from the power of Satan, delivered from, from death, all, all because of finished work. Now, we receive all these things through faith and through faith alone. And I think it's very important to understand that. Because if we say we live by faith plus works, or we put our trust in anything but Christ, anything but his finished work, then we will not live in freedom and peace. And we will live a frustrated life because, because we will always think we're not measuring up. We'll live under this sense of failure. We'll succeed for a while and we'll feel, okay, I'm having devotions. Wow, I'm doing good. I'm being spiritual. God is pleased with me. But then when we don't, we won't feel that way anymore. So we must live by faith and alone. Just believing in Jesus. Just doing nothing and believing in Jesus. That's it. Jesus and nothing more. Faith in Jesus, nothing more. The rest follows. Because, because we will be so free. Have such peace. We will love Jesus so much. We won't be able to get enough of him. We'll be on fire for the Lord. Because he has set us free. But we must live by faith alone. Not anything else. So this is what the Bible teaches. This is real quick here. Um, Jesus says, I still have like four minutes. <laughs> this is the will of, Jesus says, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the will, everyone who sees and believes. Then it says, Acts 13, 39, by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things. Acts 10, 43, to him all the prophets give witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Romans 4, 4, love this. To him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but debt. But to him who does not work, doesn't work, doesn't strive, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Just as David describes the blessedness of the man, to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. 
who imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man, the woman, to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Romans 8, 328. We conclude that the man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And then Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So this is his plan, simply to believe. <laughs> Nothing else. And the works follow. Yes, we are to pursue holiness, but in dependence on him. And, and, and as forgiven people, not in fear, not in condemnation, but we pursue holiness depending upon his grace. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So, Christ alone and nothing else. <laughs> Why? Because he died, he's the only one that died on the cross for our sins. And faith alone, because it's finished, it's paid for, it's a sacrifice that is perfect and sufficient for all of our sins and present, past, and even future. And so that's why in Colossians 2, 10, it says you are complete in Christ. You are complete in Christ. I mean, I think people seek to be complete or fulfilled and maybe in their marriage, maybe by being in the ministry or something, but no, that will never be it. We are complete in him. Seek to be complete in Christ alone, and then your marriage will be wonderful. Or at least, even if your wife is not even a Christian, you can still love her because you're, you've already been made complete. You're already free, right? So we have been complete in Christ. It's in Christ alone, by faith alone, so that God can receive all the glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together, and we pray, Lord, that you would take your word and you would seal it to our hearts, that uh, we would receive this word, this word of grace and faith, this word of the, your finished work, this perfect sacrifice that you made, that we'll receive it and that we'll rest in what you have done for us and we'll go forth in freedom and in power to serve you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.